Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and thank you for joining us for the second series of Gig Pigs. Hello, Alex. Thank you for joining me and bringing all of the equipment for our first recording of the second series of Gig Pigs. It's Gig Pigs, Series 2, Episode 1. I've brought some uh, recording equipment to your house for the top and tail. Yes, and a phone charger that I left at your house, uh, which you hope to exchange for a water bottle that you left at my flat in Edinburgh. But I left it in Edinburgh. Um, this is broadly the dynamic. If you're new to Gig Pigs uh, on account of uh, uh, being a fan of particularly the band Blur, or a particular fan of the comedian and Blur fan Josh Widdicombe, or indeed you've just been brought in on the you know, crest of the PR wave that will accompany <laughs> this second season. If you just love big returns, then you are exactly validating our decision, partly motivated by fatigue, uh, to have a break uh, and then just essentially return with more podcasts, but call it a season. Call it a season. Or a series. Which one's British and which one's American? Uh, well, I think it, it's British series, American season, but I'm amazed that you're asking me that question. I'd have just bet so much money on that being an area, one of the many areas you had more certainty in than me as a consumer of uh, box set television and as a big fan of all things American. <laughs> it keeps us grounded to occasionally lose a bet. Uh, yes, it does, although I, I do feel quite grounded quite a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Alex... How would you, and I'm sure you've been in this position before at parties, weddings, etc., sum up gig pics to someone new to... What, what, what is it? What are we doing here other than stretching the bounds of our own friendship? It's, you know, um, let's say five parts overall. Two parts, a music podcast. Uh, two parts, a friendship podcast. Ooh. And one part, a nostalgia podcast. Ooh. So of, oftentimes it'll be new bands... New comics, no nostalgia, just friendship and live music. I see. But occasionally... So when be... you said five things, my first thought was, I can't wait to hear what all five are. No, but sorry, it's, it's three things, but it's just we must get the ratios it correct. It's a way to push nostalgia down the agenda, yes. which I hate. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're already looking back to that fond time where I hadn't pushed nostalgia down the, uh, the uh, agenda. Yes, the simpler times of uh, before we started recording this, um, when there was still all to play for. Um, but there is all to play for now. We're very excited to have recorded... I mean, this. We're not doing our first recording of season two because we have uh, locked in some episodes already. We uh, go to gigs with friends and then we uh, talk to those friends about their enjoyment of the gigs, ideally uh, very soon after the gig and sometimes a bit later. And then we'll release those episodes ideally quite soon after the gig, but often realistically quite a lot later. And so this uh, series or season will include not just Josh Widdicombe talking about watching Blur in July, uh, and indeed many times this year, 
but it will also include a live episode that we did at the Latitude Festival, a live episode that we did at the Edinburgh Festival in August, um, and a couple of other gigs that we'd gone to um, back in what I suppose historians will refer to as the the, the series one period of, of human history. <laughs> I thought we were going to say what as historians refer to as July 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably refer to it as that as well. Um, so, yes. And meanwhile, we look ahead to an autumn where we will be going to uh, uh, more gigs and, um, and and reporting back because that's the format. And I really do uh, think it's a great format. I think, you know, I think the challenges it causes us in terms of um, and our loved ones. Up our diaries. Sorry. <laughs> and our loved ones. I'd uh, say. Uh, I thought you, were, th- you thought we were restricting the challenges to just us. Well, I just, you know, um, yeah. Uh, I Ma- Mari, it's so hard to tell with Mari because she, you know, she seems to be quite willing to clip up, you know, if I... <laughs> I really resented my fiancé's, uh, Mari Beveridge, Alex's fiancé, uh, has been a guest on our podcast on our bumper episode about the Arctic monkeys, which I would, listen, I'd re- don't ask me to choose between my children. I'd recommend any episode from series one of Gig Pigs. But if, you know, if you're one of these casuals that's gone, Josh Riddicombe is famous, uh, Blur are famous, then may I also recommend the famous Maisie Adam talking about the famous Arctic monkeys. <laughs> Accompanied by the fantastic, funny... Quite an aggressive tone of voice with our lovely new listeners there, but, but I'll, I'll take it. I'm afraid there's a bit of that as well. That's, that's, that's one part as well. Um, could, could you inflate the, uh, the, the music, the friendship and the nostalgia, and then just include a little bit of random aggression, um, <laughs> which um, is transparently inwardly directed? Um, anyway, Mari uh, was on that episode, huge Arctic Monkeys fan, some, some real deep bodily truths admitted to on that episode and even that in the clip which she uh, edit- edited up yes so you know i i think there are people doing a better sh- job of showing their disdain for their partner's podcasts than mari beverage would that be fair to say yes they, they say it. they say you wear an adult diaper at the arctic monkeys twice once at the gig and then once when having to watch it again and clip it up for socials <laughs> Well, I said that I did, um, uh, if, if I may bizarrely promote something completely unrelated to gig pigs that I've done. Absolutely. But, um, Let's get that in before the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something you can enjoy for free is uh, uh, the, the BBC. And long may it continue in that vein. Although you do now have to have uh, an account, um, uh, which I, I always can't remember what my password is. And it's frustrating when you're trying to listen to yourself. Uh, <laughs> let me hear myself, BBC. I was on um, the Radio 4 show, My Teenage Diary, where I um, read extracts from My Teenage Diary to Rufus Hound in front of a live audience in Bethnal Green. And I really enjoyed doing it. Um, we mentioned the theme of nostalgia. Uh, and I was in some of the some of the great periods. Uh, virginity loss, first pipe. Um, but there's one bit where I read out a bit about like didn't achieve much today just a wank and a room tidy and obviously gets a nice laugh of horror and i must have known that it would get a laugh but i was still i was like i've written that in the first place 10 years ago i thought that's worth putting in the diary and then i've chosen that extract to read and now here i'm reading it out and even as i read it out i was like i could probably have changed the sentence do you know what i mean yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. i wonder if mari at any point in clipping up a video of herself talking about wearing an adult nappy to an Arctic Monkeys game. <laughs> <laughs> I can't exactly say that this isn't part of the arrangement. Um, anyway, she's your fiancée. She accepted your proposal after uh, the start of Gig Pigs. So she is locked in. Right, well, exactly. Um, and I am a floating voter on that front. Um, <laughs> so uh, best, best man and single. So, <laughs> But married to Gig Pigs. 
Married to Gig Pigs, season two. We've got a Patreon now. We have got a Patreon now. I think um, we so put out an episode. We put out a mini episode last week detailing that. But um, yeah, if you are, if 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 you, mm, if you're so that. inclined, no, I think it's okay. Let the listeners no, hear. No, the, gonna, no, 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 enough no. podcasts are confidently shouting out their patrons. Let let us convey the genuine angst that we have shared over you know ultimately joining that throng. We are very proud of our friendship and the conversations that we have both in private and in public. And we are making some more of those conversations available via a Patreon channel. That will include bits of episodes that we haven't released um, with our guests and then specific episodes uh, that we record where we talk perhaps about things slightly nicher than live music gigs, such as a uh, watching of the documentary Meet Me in the Bathroom, uh, a documentary uh, that we will be discussing for this week's episode uh, because it's absolutely rich as a chocolate tort it's uh <laughs> it's the documentary film based on the book about uh the new york music scene of the early mid noughties and uh and it's one of my favorite books of all time and it leads us very nicely we should say onto our guest josh widdicombe who needs very little introduction for in terms of uh, what he has achieved in the last i'm going to say 12 years um I'm able to map his success uh, because I've known him for uh, for 13 years. So one, one non-successful year. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the comedy zone being like, "Good to know, good to know you before the big time hits." Josh, uh, can we um, can we just go down and walk through a crowded place for a bit, just uninterrupted? Because <laughs> I want to I want to savor this. Um, We're not going to be able to do this in about eight months' time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's already being earmarked by commentators as a meteoric rise, and thoroughly deserve it. Uh, 2011, Live at the Apollo. 2012, The Last Leg. Just for the Paralympics, right? Wrong. Uh, still uh, doing everyone involved very proud on Channel 4 to this day. Um, also, and this is more relevant, a keen consumer of music, someone I've been to many, many gigs with uh, over the years, uh, and um, someone who I've been with at many of the happiest memories of my life at the Glastonbury Festival, um, on one occasion, on his ticket. And he's a huge fan of the band Blur. And if we are announcing that to you, then w what a great privilege to be able to announce it. But also, I, I think you've been living under, a, you know, a, at least a medium-sized rock, uh, <laughs> because... Um, you know, his, his, his friendship with, with the band is well documented and he's, he's done a quiz about them on Celebrity Mastermind. He's passionate. He saw them many times uh, this summer and we could probably have gone to see them live with him. Um, and it's a source of, you know, stick it on the regret list that we didn't go to, to the Wembley Stadium. It was a Wembley Stadium opportunity hit. that we discovered kind of almost retrospectively that we would have been able to do free calendars, both our ends. It's Josh was there. And then we got to close the Regretosphere to an extent. Yes, to an extent. Very, very soon after. I don't think you usually close the Regretosphere alone on the internet at 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly we have to go back to your teenage diary to be able to um, see an instance of that. Um, but yes, so Blur announced a Hammersmith Apollo gig, which was a full album play of their newest album, The Ballad of Darren. And uh, Ivo and I watched that on the live stream, and Josh watched it in person. He did. We didn't even watch it on the same live stream. You watched it live. <laughs> I got back from my gig and, and watched it at 1am. And uh, details of, uh, of this experience 
uh, come, come up in the episode. And I think it's a very interesting to, I could have talked to Josh a lot more, obviously, about every single thing that we talked about. And, you know, we have the great privilege with our guests of being their friends and the conversations can continue off air, but increasingly we're busy and they don't. Uh, he arrived <laughs> locked and loaded with all sorts of fun uh, opinions and memories about Blur. But while it's dangerous ground to be kicking off S2OGP, Gig Pigs, a podcast about the thrill of live music with an episode where uh, we've both watched a live streamed gig and the intention is very much for almost all of the episodes to be uh, gigs that at least one of us has attended live. Um <laughs> But it was a brilliant experience. It was a beautifully filmed thing. It was obviously reminiscent of lockdown when these things started to uh, pop up. And um, the company that make it, who I'm embarrassed, I think they're called either Drift or Druft. Uh, and I can't tell you for sure because of, <laughs> that's, that was their choice logo. That's the typeface. Uh, to, to, you know, to, it's, it's a cool font, but I can't tell whether it's a U or an I. Mm. Anyway, they did the lockdown Glastonbury 2021 when um, they uh, live streamed some beautiful gigs, beautifully recorded gigs from the Glastonbury set. And obviously we you know as a precursor to doing this podcast we watched lots of gigs if not live then we watched gigs on youtube over zoom during the lockdowns and we bonded over that and obviously there's lots of people who for all sorts of reasons can't make gigs and certainly not ones as intimate as blur playing their new album live in full so it's not just a, a lockdown thing it is the future and it was brilliant it was a brilliant performance of a you know early days but a you know pretty brilliant album by a pretty brilliant band, best, best <laughs> luck to them, uh, and captured in a, in a really, really lovely way. It was brilliant. Uh, there, there was a, a live chat bar, which gets reference to the main body of the episode, uh, that adds to the the ersatz live and I, and I can feeling. that as well, because I'm uh, not Captain Technical. Uh, <laughs> while, obviously, we're sat here saying brilliant over and over again, I should say, and it is also admitted to in the episode, that um, Josh is a few years older than me. We've found huge amounts of common ground in lots of the bands that are referenced in the book Meet Me in the Bathroom, uh, the, the Strokes, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's LCD sound system. But I would say Blur. I've always felt when hearing Josh talk about Blur, I'm looking up at my, my big brother, telling me about a chat it's a bit like you know and very much interwoven with and there is a football bit of this episode as well euro 96 it's i i um in the opposite of the words of james murphy i wasn't there <laughs> obviously i have had 20 years as an adult to get into blur and i've really enjoyed them but for example during this episode um i said clover after dover instead of clover over dover and what the interesting edit has done is it's removed that it's then included a bit where i get it right and say clover over dover i listened back to it and i thought nice I'm saved <laughs> uh, but then there's a bit almost immediately afterwards where we reference me saying clover after dover again which i guess it'll be very confusing so let's uh, that th th you've been pre-warned confusion incoming but i was genuinely very ashamed of that um alex anything to apologize for i think the, the uh, look the um we recorded over zoom Ivo arrived with a MacBook that was unable to update google chrome thus making it impossible to use the software for uh, recording this podcast and so I had to find a flatmates 
computer to, for Ivo to be able to do that. Yes. And it all worked out in the end. And there was a man drilling into your neighbor's And there was a man door. drilling. It was uh, a very, very stressful day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so a lot of stress about making Ivo's microphone works. And it works brilliantly. And then what's, <laughs> what it turns out to be is I think there was some incorrect setting on my microphone. So for some of it, I do sound like I'm at the bottom of a well. That's not typical if you're a new listener. We mostly record in Old quite nice chrome Graham comes out smelling of roses yes, again. I'm re- I quite resent it, actually, for the amount of admin stress that I had to undergo to It's like I always that. say, why try? <laughs> I, I, I don't believe that. <laughs> um, and I suppose the other point is that I think we um, get straight into some stuff about Phil Daniels without explicitly saying that he is the, I think it's kind of understandable implicitly, but he's the he's man, man who does the spoken the, word on Park Life. Exactly. Arguably the most... Well, I, we can't waste people's time on this. Although, first thing to write in uh, to uh, gigpigspodcast at gmail.com, um, uh, an, an email inbox, which we are going to be interacting with thoroughly uh, this uh, series, both uh, in front of and behind the wall. Um, <laughs> brackets pay. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, best ever or most known bit of spoken word in music. And that's it's got to be right up there. Part of life has to be high. Um, so that's who be. Phil Daniels is. He plays a big role. Is self-esteem making a, a, ch- a challenge for that? Yes. May I recommend both halves of that episode, self-esteem with Lou Sanders, S1E8 uh, or 9 or something. It's um, <laughs> uh, a very good episode. Uh, so good, we released it twice in, t- in two parts <laughs> as, as an experiment from which we... Because we said there's learned. no way... That this is an hour and a half. We'll have to release this as forty-five minute episodes, and then if you if you look now, we've released a couple of hour and a half. Once. And here we are approaching the twenty-minute mark of our pre-Josh <laughs> intro. But it's also an introduction to this series, isn't it? Hello, we're best friends. We love music. We love each other. Uh, usually, entirely thanks to Alex, we record these episodes at a very high quality. On this occasion, due to a very complicated day, it has a few technical challenges. But luckily, the content is top-notch. We don't. We barely have to do it. We, we're conducting the orchestra, the one-man orchestra that is Josh Widdicombe talking about Blur and music, and it was a pleasure uh, to conduct it. Um, so we hope that you enjoy that. We will be back at the end of the episode to um, uh, say the things that we've forgotten to say in this bit. <laughs> uh, and we'd like to once more say that if you enjoy it, please listen back to any episodes you might have missed, form a broader picture of how much you enjoy our company, and then consider those extra eps beyond <laughs> the wall. But before that, please enjoy Josh Whittacombe on Blur. My name's Ivo Graham, and I'm here with two of my best friends and probably two of my best music friends in the world podcasting together for the first time. Hello, Josh. Hello, Alex. Hello. Hello. How are we? Quite a weird way to introduce mine and Alex's shared podcast, I'll be honest, but there we go. (laughs) I'm excited for the two of you to be on the same web pod. Not as excited as I am. I'm really looking forward to this. It's rare that you actually get to talk about something you're interested in, in our job, isn't it? That's true. But would it be also fair to say, Josh, that it's increasingly not that rare that you get to talk about Blur? I've prepared for this by listening to you talking about Blur elsewhere. I was thinking about this last night. It's weird when you make your niche something that's quite popular. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So to be the Blur guy, I mean, they've sold out Wembley Stadium twice. So it's not like that's that rare that people like Blur, but I've managed to become a go-to when it comes to Blur. And I get offered to do things. I got sent a Blur-themed football by the management, which I presume I was meant to put on Instagram. (laughs) Bury it in a story? (laughs) I bury everything in a story, mate. 
Wait till you see the promo I do for this. <laughs> it's a sort of a crystal maze sort of situation. You have to unlock a series of puzzles before you get information that you're on this podcast. Exactly, exactly. I remember when one of my friends did a, can't remember what brand it is, let's say Samsung. He did an advert for Samsung and he had to do two tweets. And he put them both out at like 2 a.m. in the days when you could. <laughs> I think it's an incredibly good level of mainstream thing for you to be the go-to person on. Yeah. Like in terms of how sort of culturally important, but also a lovely level of coming back sort of regularity, as it were. Yeah. You're the blur guy. You get a big summer. You get a few years downtime. <laughs> Exactly. I get to do Blur and then the Paralympics next year. I did that every four years for the last leg. But I have a string of kind of things every four years. If I could make general elections my thing, that would be helpful. <laughs> have Blur and the Paralympics clashed yet? 2012, they did the West Way. Yes, of course, 2012. That was for the Olympics, obviously. So that was over before the Paralympics began. I mean, to give another example of the sort of bespoke and potentially irritating blur content in which you're drowning alex and i were talking about me doing a blur quiz for you for this and yeah. i said oh i did a blur quiz for josh a few weeks ago because i was backstage at the colchester Arts center oh yeah where they were soon to play and you did very well on that blur quiz i'm not going to but I, my celebrity mastermind trophy is just up there yeah but i'd have to stand on the spinny chair and it would be inelegant on the camera <laughs> Who out of Blur have you talked to most about doing Blur on Celebrity Mastermind? Dave, because I've spoken to him most, yeah. Dave is the only one that I've met with you when he came to one of your tour shows when I was supporting. What a lovely man. He came to Guildford G Live. The jewel in the crown. <laughs> I implored him to go to a date that I thought was going to go better. <laughs> You're equidistant to Reading Hexagon, Dave. Could you not go to Reading Hexagon? It's... But actually it went well, thank God. There's a lot of pressure on stuff like that. A lovely level of intimacy with members of one's favourite band to be even thinking of trying to redirect them to a tour date that you think might go better. Yes. Rather than biting their hand off for the G Live. <laughs> would you like James Murphy to come to your tour, Ivo? Or do you find that too stressful? I would find it too stressful. Although I suppose the good thing with James Murphy is that even if he watches me being rubbish, he can at least think, well, maybe he'll bloom into a kind of sort of glorious middle age. Like, <laughs> of all the people who's not worrying about a youngish person being good, James Murphy yeah. is surely like the middle yeah. act where it's at. I mean, surely you want James Murphy to watch you in the smallest venue possible so he can boast about it in a list of comics yes, that he yeah. saw in tiny basement <laughs> venues. He doesn't want to see you doing a quick five minutes for a Channel 4 compilation show uh, to be broadcast for charity. No, exactly. It's weird the access you get to a band. So last night I went to, I'm still wearing my after show wristband that I've got, but that's not as a showy thing. That's because... I got up early and I went to bed late. Alex and I've talked a lot about how we don't often interview people quickly enough about the gigs, and that's a real measure. <laughs> Still got the wristband on is ideal. Still got the wristband on. And we were in the after show at the Apollo, and the band were there. There was probably about 150 people. And I briefly spoke to Dave and Alex, but I did think, I don't know how much I want to speak to Graham Coxon because I, or Damon Albarn, because... It's intimidating meeting your heroes. Do you know what I mean? Actually, what are you trying to get out of it? I've already got the selfie. 
So what now am I? To, do you know what I mean? It's a huge leap from selfie to friendship. You know what I mean? And there's not really any stage in between that's sort of worth chasing too hard. Yeah. A fair assessment from someone who's not got this dilemma? Yes. I'd say that is true. Do you want to be friends with your heroes? Well, I've got two of them on this call right now, and it's going broadly well. But no, I think it would be quite stressful, I think. I think G Live every few years is a lovely level. That's great. Because what do I want to speak to Blur about apart from Blur? The like other dynamic is in most situations when you're meeting a big artist like that, the kind of trad way that you show off that you're not just like other fans is that you quote a series of obtuse B-sides at them. But yeah. because of the gig you were at last night, actually, yeah. if you want to show off the back catalog, you're like, I really love Girls and Boys, actually. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that, <laughs> guys. Why don't you play that? You should put that in the set. <laughs> Do you know, in terms of knowledge of them, my friend, she went to Wembley, and her friend, who went to watch Blur at Wembley, said to her, it was just incredible to see Blur, and I found it such an emotional experience. It was just such a great thing in my life. She said, oh, there's only one thing. Who's that old bloke they brought out during Park Life? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, so what is your relationship with Blur here? That you find seeing them incredibly emotional, but you, you aren't aware of Phil Daniels? <laughs> there can't be a single other person in the world who's got that exact relationship with Blur. Yeah. <laughs> was Phil there last night at the Apollo? Uh, he didn't perform. No need for him. A rare night off for Daniels. And it would have been odd to bring him on in the middle of one of those sort of emotional news songs. Is this a crass conversation to ask you about Phil Daniels? And maybe this should be why I'd ask it if I had a long conversation with members of Blur. I'd be fascinated to know what he's getting paid for that. Because <laughs> they've kind of got him over a barrel, really, haven't they? Do you know what I mean? Like, he can't... There's 90,000 people in Wembley Stadium who've all paid £100. Yeah, but to be fair, only 89,999 know who he is. (laughs) 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 Do you think it's a good earner for him? Do you think they check the dates with him? He always seems to be available. I couldn't possibly speculate. Ten grand a pop? Do you think? Do you think that's loads or little? I think that's loads. (laughs) I think it's loads. I mean, it's nine million gross a night. I know, but is Phil Daniels going to say no if they offer him a grand? Yeah, yeah, maybe. But also, like, it's difficult because it's like you probably do have to pay him, but it's like it'd be quite disrespectful if, like, one of the violinists is being paid, like, three grand and then (laughs) Dan's getting ten grand for one song. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll never know. We'll never know. I think he's on about 300 quid. You're unable to think outside the conventional comedy support slot structure. No, exactly. (laughs) There's so much to talk about with Blur, but let's jump back to your first gig and your favourite gig, if you'd be so kind, Josh. Okay. So my first gig was the Rolling Stones at Wembley Stadium. (laughs) Family trip when I was seven. Wow. Urban Jungle tour. And I can tell you the exact date of it. Well, I'd have to Google it (laughs) because it was the night... England lost to West Germany in the 1990 <gasps> World Cup semi-final. It was an admin error that you went to Wembley. It was an admin error, yeah. We were meant to cheer in at the Stadio dell'Alpi or whatever it's called. <laughs> yes, it was an admin error. So my dad's a huge fan of the Rolling Stones, so we'd go to the tours regularly. I mean, probably as regularly as Blur Tour, every five or so years when I was growing up. 
And that was the first one I went to. And how devastated would your dad have been by the clash with the semi-final? Not devastated. I don't think... I mean, now, I don't think I would go to the gig myself. Mm. I don't know about you, but I think I would think you could see the Rolling Stones any time. So I don't think I'd have gone to the gig myself. And I'm obviously very lucky, Josh, to be able to say that I've watched England at Wembley beating a unified Germany with you, <laughs> with no Rolling Stones clash to speak of. Your family were like, it doesn't count until the Berlin Wall's down. We watch the exactly. Stones tonight. <laughs> well, the Berlin Wall was down. That was the absurdity, of course. The Berlin Wall was down. West Germany was still a sporting institution because they had to play out there. It was their last games as West Germany. Like the sort of gardening leave. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't the Berlin Wall come down in 89? But West Germany had already qualified for the World Cup as West Germany, I think. So wow. they played out there. You need to double check that. All that adds up. No, that sounds right. Can I tell you this, by the way, about Blur at <laughs> Wembley? I don't know if you've had Matthew Crosby on this podcast. He went to watch Blur at Wembley, talking of Wembley, and he'd only once before been to Wembley to watch an England friendly in the 90s. And then he went out with my friend Tom Gibbs a couple of nights ago. And Tom texted me, I'll read you the text actually, because this blows my mind about the gig going experience. He went to uh, Wembley for an England friendly in the 90s and returned for the first time for Blur, but he didn't realise that it was a different stadium. <laughs> <laughs> It's more important to some people than others, isn't it? Just felt it had been spruced up. Yeah. It was a big news story, wasn't it? And they <laughs> rebuilt Wembley. That was, like, people are aware, aren't they, that they rebuilt Wembley? I guess so. But we started this podcast 20 minutes late because I hadn't updated my Chrome. So I'm not going to stick it to <laughs> yes. Crosby for not noticing yeah. the Wembley upgrade. Not noticing that he was in a completely different place. I've Chrome is still really excited about that 5-1 victory over Germany. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was old, wasn't it? Or was that new? I can't remember that. Was that, that was in Germany, wasn't it? We won 5-1 in Germany, yeah. I feel that was around when Wembley was getting demolished. I think there was no Wembley at that point, maybe. Alex and I just went to see Harry Styles at Wembley for this podcast. Yeah. And Alex, I'm right saying we talked about this. It was your first, first Wembley? First time at Wembley. What did you think of it? I thought, what a great place <laughs> to have Harry Styles. I was like, for me, this is the home of Harry Styles. Right, yeah. Whereas for me, it's England, Germany, one Johnson Paint Trophy final, two Swindon League One playoff finals, lost. A Plymouth one with you, Josh, lost. Yeah. And Muse in 2007. What a spread. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the worst of the lot, that last one. <laughs> so had England been knocked out of the World Cup by the time the Rolling Stones took to the stage? No, I remember Rolling Stones being on stage and rumours about the penalty shootout going on. Because obviously no one had mobile phones. Rumours, of course. Oh, They wow. presumably had big, big screens either side of the stage. Yeah, but they didn't broadcast the football during... No, but for the penalties, for the penalties, I think you could go, look, we're going to do a big encore. Do you think they should have stopped? For a semi-final penalties, that's big. It's hard, isn't it? But imagine trying to come back on with a song when you lose <laughs> on penalties. You can't always get what you want. Surely. <laughs> That's what you can't always get what you want is made for. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And if you're the Rolling Stones and they decide to broadcast the penalties on the screens, are you staying out on stage to watch. <laughs> You're jamming throughout. It's a long, slow jam. They presumably can't see the screens, right? So what they'd need, which they didn't have in those days, was one of those, you know, those long walkouts that Bono has. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for the penalties, the Rolling Stones would walk out onto that bit in the middle of the pitch so that they could watch the screens with the audience. <laughs> Do you think they would stand with their arms around each other like they were the penalty <laughs> doing the shoot <laughs> <laughs> if you're the Rolling Stones, you know you're being watched. So are you kind of amping up how much how much does Charlie Watts care? <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah. Like if you're stood with your arms around each other, you're gonna have to show investment, aren't you? What I did was doing a gig in Wolverhampton with and for Tom Parry on the night we beat Columbia on penalties, and we tried to turn that into a sort of communal experience with the audience. But it would have been very hard to do that if we hadn't won the penalty shootout, I think. <laughs> the other thing you've got to consider is everyone there has made the decision not to follow the football. No, that's people tied financially to a decision eight months ago before even the groups yeah. have been announced. But it's a sunk cost, isn't it? Like it's You think um, just don't go to the Stones even if you've got tickets? If last night England had been playing in a World Cup semi-final, I wouldn't have gone to Blur. Yeah, but that's for the album playthrough. If it'd been your one Blur gig of the summer at Wembley where they're playing every hit. Also, I can't be clear enough about this. I did get my tickets for free, so it isn't a comparable situation. <laughs> the old sunk comp fallacy. <laughs> yeah, the old sunk comp. <laughs> I'd probably still go and pick it up to show Willing so they didn't think I hadn't picked up my comp and then go to a nearby pub to watch the football. That's a miserable pilgrimage. <laughs> the politeness pickup of the comp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's more or less into football, the Rolling Stones or Blur? I don't really know anything about either band's affection for football. Mick Jagger is into cricket, isn't he? Right. I've never heard anything about the Rolling Stones being into football at all. Damon Albarn is a Chelsea fan, but there's probable debate about how much of that was a mid-90s affectation. Right. <laughs> and obviously Alex James was involved in Vindaloo. Oh, yes, of course. Didn't they sound check with Vindaloo in one gig or something? Did they? I think so. Maybe I've, I could have made that up. Alex is the precision half of the podcast, but it's a hell of a thing to have made up. But they would sound checking Vindaloo at Wembley. So on night one of Wembley, they obviously sound check with everything because it was night one and they needed to be prepared. Night two, it's like, yeah, we did this last night. So sound check. So sound check for night one was like 12 songs or bits of 12 songs. And then for night two, it was just Vindaloo and Sunday, Sunday. Oh, well, both have got a similar kind of mood. 
<laughs> Sunday Sunday is my least liked Blur song. Oh, it's a generous thing to admit. Why do you like it the least of all the Blur songs? It's too much. I don't like the fact it speeds up in the middle. I think it's a bit annoying. I think it's kind of, if you were a band pastiching Blur in the mid-90s, I think you'd probably write Sunday Sunday, if you know <laughs> what I mean. If you're writing a sketch about Blur, that's the song that you'd write. I went to the toilet during Sunday Sunday in Eastbourne. I should say I've told this on another podcast, but this is a music podcast, so I think it's viable. What was the other <laughs> podcast? A toilet podcast. <laughs> or is it which is a lovely bit of filler with rob yeah it was a lovely bit of filler with rob <laughs> everything's filler on that podcast <laughs> so they played park life phil daniels collected his nominal fee <laughs> between three hundred and ten thousand pounds pounds. he pocketed the three hundred ten thousand pounds and then they went straight into sunday sunday next song and i thought this is a chance for a piss and I walked down the stairs. This was in the Eastbourne Winter Gardens. So it's just an audience. It's just like a one room. And as I walked down the stairs, Phil Daniels came out of backstage in front of me, down the hallway, like a kind of, like a tracking shot in the West Wing, oh, following him. And he went into the toilet and I followed him. I've heard this lovely bit of filler. It's great. <laughs> and he said to his son, Oh, his name I can't remember, but we'll call him Ivo. Thank you. He said, Ivo, where's your mum? And he, there was like a seven-year-old boy mm. having a piss. Actually, could the seven-year-old boy who's been asked where his mum is not be called Ivo? Because it's bringing up a lot of stuff from the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where my mum was at the age of seven. <laughs> You'd already metabolised by that point, the absence. <laughs> I'd say... Phil Daniels' kid has got a very different upbringing to yours, Ivo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, he gets up when he wants. <laughs> <laughs> we were rudely awakened by our housemaster every single morning. <laughs> he said, where's your mum? And as he said that, I pushed at the door of a toilet cubicle and there was a woman having a piss in the gents and she shouted, I'm in here, Phil. And it was Phil Daniels' wife. Or the mother of his child. <laughs> and then he said, how much were you paid for this gig, Phil? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not explaining Wembley rates at Eastbourne Winter Gardens, but still. Well, yeah, I wonder whether he was played different for Eastbourne and different for Wembley. Were they, why is he doing Eastbourne? Do they feel he needs a warm-up? Surely not. Yes. Presumably your currently urinating wife is on a comp. And what about your son? <laughs> 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 anyway, I left the toilet without going to the toilet because I found the whole thing so awkward. I don't think I'm at fault for it, though. I don't think anyone's... Why do we need to assign fault in this day and age? <laughs> I think it's a bit of faultless fun. Yeah, a bit of faultless fun. I'll let you sort of thrash out society's obsession with blame culture with Rob, I think. <laughs> we can stick to our very tight Blur constraints. How many times have you seen Blur this year? Two Wembleys, Apollo, Eastbourne and... And Radio 2 gig last week. Oh, yes. So here's a quirk. I've seen Tim Wheeler from Ash at three of them. <laughs> Fantastic. Have you chatted to him on any of the three occasions? No, I wish I had. I kind of went down an Instagram wormhole and his wife is a mega fan. So he's kind of tagging along to all the Blur gigs. She went to both Wembleys at Eastbourne and uh, the Apollo last night, judging by her Instagram that I went deep dive on yesterday. So 
Tim Wheeler from Ash is having to sort, from what I can tell from where they were sat last night, sort comps for his wife for these gigs and then go along and watch Blur. Imagine, Ivo, if you were dating someone who was a huge fan of me and you had to go to four tour shows to watch me in the space of two months. Everyone's like, you're supporting Josh tonight. Like, nope, just in the audience. <laughs> just, just in the audience watching appear for the fourth time this summer. I think my richest grin in my partner's watching my fave with Bay Instagram post. <laughs> it would, I think I'd asked not to be in all of the photos, I think maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just the thought of poor old Wheeler having to text whoever it is he knows in blur. You couldn't sort two more out for tonight, could you? She wants to go again. God, in the comp sphere, you're actually less of a nuisance than Tim Wheeler. <laughs> Your fandom is measurably proven on Mastermind. You'll occasionally comp Dave into the G line yeah, in Guildford. So exactly, it, exactly. It is a two way street, even if most of the traffic is moving in one direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's one of those streets where you panic halfway driving down it that you're going the wrong way down a one way street. <laughs> and then you see the G live edging out of a bay and you think, oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, would it be terribly crash to ask what your favourite of the five gigs was that you saw this year? First night at Wembley. Interesting. There's been a lot of crap talked about the second night being better, but um, I think the first night, you didn't know what you were going to get. I, you know what? So the first night I was in seated at the side, and the second night I was in standing at the front. So you'd think the second night is going to be a better experience. But actually, the second night, you didn't get the feeling you're at Wembley because you're just stood there facing the stage. Mm. It doesn't matter what's behind you. So you didn't get that feeling of Wembley Stadium, whereas the first night, you kind of watched this whole thing play out. You could see the audience react. So you got more of a feeling for the event on the first night, I thought. Yeah, seated or standing is such a central debate in this podcast that it's in the very first line of our blurb. <laughs> yes. That's one of the best sort of assessments of what you get from your seated ticket, I think. Does that mean that this is a done subject or can I offer my two penneth? No, no, no. You've already given a different take on the seated standing palaver. I am a huge ambassador for seated. I think standing is incredibly overrated. I think there's a lot to be said for not having to use the cloakroom mm. or have your coat tied around you or between your legs on the floor. I think also, as a short person, I've spent 20 years at gigs convincing myself that I've got quite a good view when I know in my heart that I haven't. <laughs> and it's nice to just admit to yourself, I could have a good view if I just went upstairs. So... I'm going seated. All very legitimate reasons. May I say, I'm very glad that the cloakroom wasn't used by you last night because I've seen the photo on social media of Ellis sat next to someone who was wearing exactly the same coat as him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cloakroom would have denied us that lovely moment. So I think the reason that the Blur reunion this time, if you can call it a reunion, because I don't think they've split up, this string of gigs has worked so well is that you can feel the emotion of them in a way, 
and I'm sure you've had debates about the Arctic Monkeys set at Glastonbury. Very much so. I actually think, in hindsight, the biggest mistake the Arctic Monkeys made in that set, which I thoroughly enjoyed, is they didn't communicate with the crowd how much they were excited to do the gig or how much they wanted to be there. And I think the Blur shows are a really good lesson in how far it goes if a band are humble and thankful and clearly happy to be there. Mm. And I think there's a the reason that people have enjoyed these shows so much is it feels like it's the first time the band seem totally comfortable with who they are and where they've got to and what they've achieved rather than slightly resenting it, if that makes sense, and slightly feeling uncomfortable that people maybe want them to play country house or whatever do you know what i mean yeah yeah. it feels like they've reached a point where they've gone what an amazing thing this is the guy i went to school with and i've known him since i was 12 and now we're doing wembley stadium i think that buys a hell of a lot of goodwill from the audience yeah well i don't know about you alex it sounds trite to say but you felt it through the live stream oh man what was it like watching a live stream it was beautifully filmed it was pretty simple it wasn't like we got to see loads of backstage stuff, a quick shot of them waiting to go on. Well, that was great. So it starts with the backstage shot is in sort of sepia, black and white. And then it's just a, a held shot of like the corridor just before you walk out on stage at the Hammersmith Apollo. And so yeah. it's just still shot there, empty corridor. And then like a couple of the bands walked out and we were just sort of standing there kind of chatting to each other, like smoking a vape. And it was a really nice touch where it was like, oh, you're on the live stream, but we are going to give you a bit of the band that the audience live don't see. And so that was held for a bit. You can feel the crowd doing those whoops where the crowd almost haven't seen the band, but they want to almost trick the band into having to come on now. Yeah, and then yeah, the band yeah. do all come on. And then as the camera kind of follows them sort of on stage and we cut, it then goes from sepia to colour. Someone's been watching Oppenheimer. <laughs> and then, but it was brilliant. It was such a... Lovely. After a lockdown of where you're watching live streams that aren't necessarily being I thought was a really good live stream and I'd have loved to have watched that in the heart of lockdown when you saw the bands waiting there backstage at Hammersmith Apollo was there part of you that were hoping they were going to use the live at the Apollo sign <laughs> that was going to a big shiny blur sign just going up and then a bunch of loads of dry ice a bunch of dry ice and then Alex James comes out and then immediately sits on a sofa in his shorts smoking his cigarette as he plays bass in the most and I would say in my only minor criticism of the gig aggressively loose yes do you know that was the word I was reaching for isn't that mad that we is Alex James I remember when the smoking band came in and Keith Richards smoked at a gig inside under the argument that it was performance and this was part of his character. Yeah. And is Alex James, is that the legal card he's playing if challenged on smoking indoors? They pay the fine, but the rule is they pay Phil Daniels, whatever the local authority <laughs> fine is, to smoke inside a venue. <laughs> so there's bits of continental Europe, he gets nothing. It's a free gig for Daniels. <laughs> Ljubljana again, is it? <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> well, isn't that one of the things, probably not the most egregious thing, but one of the things that Matt Healy of the 1975 is currently doing on this tour? He always gets a cigarette to show him his ID that they're over 18 before he puts it in his mouth. That's his, that's, that's Matt Healy's rule. <laughs> I believe he's smoking on stage. It's an odd one. I sort of, smoking indoors is still cool by some metrics, 
but it disrupted me seeing Alex James do it or whatever it panned him and what otherwise was pure warmth at every sort of single shot. <laughs> just Why is he doing that again? Sort of just trying to work it out. I didn't like it as a sort of mystery. I will say, I'm not sure it is cool to smoke inside these days, but I thought what was cool was him playing, presumably, I think, plucking his bass with his right hand whilst still having the cigarette in that same hand. Like he was playing and pouching cigarette simultaneously, right? Yeah, was it not just in his mouth? I couldn't see where I was. The reason he was on a sofa was because obviously he's always played these songs sitting down. He's never played these songs standing up, I think. Right. is what he implied afterwards in a brief chat I heard him have with a person from the music industry that wasn't me, <laughs> that I overheard. I think the sofa was, these songs aren't made for live performance in a way. Mm. So... I thought it was a really interesting way to experience an album because the only time I've been to album gigs before is when it's 15 years anniversary or something. And then it's not the same. It's a nostalgia trip. You know the album. You know which songs you're going for a piss on. You know all that kind of stuff. But it's really nice with a new album because suddenly it really engages you in the album in a way that you just don't have when you are listening on a commute. I was very invested in it, and I think I can appall you, Josh, by saying I think this was the first time I've ever listened to a Blur album in full in any context. So are they a singles band for you? For me, they're a singles band. We've never had a sort of Blur album in the car. My dad didn't bring Blur into my life. But presumably you've got streaming platforms now where the albums are available. Of course. In the car. And I think I'm pretty good on particularly like Park Life album tracks. But yeah. I just feel so and of course it's coincided with having an incentive to watch it, to chat about it with you. I think if we're not doing gig pigs, particularly given that I wasn't free to come to the gig or to watch the live stream live and I had to watch it at one AM <laughs> after getting back from my gig. I've got a very stressed text at 0059 from Ivo saying password's yeah. not working. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lovely bit of foreshadowing there but, um, yeah. but i probably wouldn't have watched that i was very sad to miss and actually we probably could have come to wembley a few weeks ago and that would have been great and who knows what i'll see blur live now certainly for several years but it means now that i feel very invested in the ballad of darren yeah of course i don't know yet how good it's going to be when the dust settles compared to other blur albums but i didn't pay attention to the magic whip when it came out and everything before then no one did but then they dropped in the encore for this gig they played pyongyang from that and i loved it did you get the encore presumably the live stream shut for like 15 seconds and everyone in the sidebar chat window had a meltdown because they thought because it had a technical glitch but exactly one hour after the gig started and everyone was like well i guess we only get one hour precisely and then all the like real life but no it just immediately restarted so is there a chat bar at the side of a international live stream for this one there was can you see how many people are watching well you can see lots of people commenting but no i don't know how many people were watching it around the world can i shock you i didn't know there was a chat bar i didn't unlock that oh you couldn't have chatted because you were late <laughs> Ivor. you're on the 1am so you might not have but i think as a time zones there will still probably be a lot of people in that chat bar for ivo's one mm. and what's happening in the chat bar why is he smoking <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah come to ljubljana phil daniels being paid <laughs> how much is phil daniels being paid <laughs> a fascinating thing to lob into the chat bar <laughs> during russian strings <laughs> which i love actually 
No, it was just a lot of enthusiasm. There was one song that was so rare that they played that even Googling some of the lyrics, I found it difficult to work out which song it was. And it was someone in the chat that said what the song was. I was like, oh yeah, great. This sounds like a lie, but it's not. The guy in front of me, it's the only time I've ever seen it at a gig, was Shazamming. (laughs) (laughs) Successfully? No, it didn't bite. No. Did you know, would you have been able to lean over and tell them? No, there was a couple where I was like, because I have listened to all the B-sides in my time, but there was a couple where I was like, it was Mr. Briggs, wasn't there? What was that the B-side to? Mr. Briggs was a, a leisure-era B-side, wasn't it? I was enjoying picturing it being about our friend Will Briggs. That was a yes. little sort of subplot for me. <laughs> Clover over Dover felt, it felt like Wonderwall in the midst of that encore. <laughs> yes. Not an appropriate comparison, obviously. No, but I think it's an interesting... It's a brave decision, because you're going to play an album that presumably you're slightly worried about playing. To then play, I think Damon described them as obtuse, didn't he? The exact sentence he said before closing with the Universal, the only song that was on like the best of Blur, he said, do you want something that's slightly less artfully obtuse? Yes. (laughs) And before one, he said that he didn't remember the song until it was suggested to. (laughs) So here's an interesting thing for Blur fans. Did you know that they don't choose their set list? There is a member of their crew, because they don't want the stress of choosing their set list. There's a member of their crew that decides the set list for them. And he does it for gorillas as well. So they're just presented with their set list. Presumably they've given their view. How far before the tour? Well, it's different each night. I mean, it's not that different, is it? The two Wembley gigs were quite similar. No, it's not that different, but the, the two Wembley runs are probably four or five songs different. So it's changing four or five songs each night. But there's a guy whose job it is to do the set list for Blur and Gorillas. I wonder if they paid more or less than Phil Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, that, isn't it? That's mad. Yeah, well, particularly also with most of these gigs, like the Wembleys and the Eastbournes, you're shuffling the deck on the greatest hits, but that's the biggest day of this set list planner's career is planning last night's encore. <laughs> so, okay, then. I mean, Clover after Dover, obviously, but where do we go from there? (laughs) I think it's easier for me to repeat my horrible mistake and try and own it rather than message our editor Will to ask it to be taken out. Yes. I would say like the average number of times that Blur had played a song from their encore before was probably two. Yeah. Like it was like a lot of some songs for the first time, other songs where it would be like first time since 2012, which was a made of air recording. And then the previous time for that was in 1992. Like it's songs which you might as well write a new song than trying to remember how to do that song. If you told me I'm about to do my new show at the Edinburgh Festival next week, if it was like, you've got to do your new show, which is already stressful enough because it's only just come together. But the good news is afterward, <laughs> you're going to do some material that didn't quite make it onto your 2013 debut show. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that good news for? There's one absolute Ivo super fan in the audience just trying to Shazam your Mulan bit. <laughs> So they gave a live debut to six songs from the album and then a live debut to one song in the thing, but tour debut to one, two, three. I mean, it's mad, isn't it? Could I ask you a series of quickfire questions, although you can answer Mm. them at length, Josh? And obviously this first one's been covered elsewhere. Favourite Blur song? Oh, For Tomorrow, I think. The long version? The big version? 
Yeah, I love the Visit to Primrose Hill version, yeah, because I think the brass is lovely on it. And he wrote it on Christmas Day in response to a demand for a single. Is that right? Yeah, they were told they had to come up with two singles over Christmas, otherwise the album wasn't good enough. I know that story from listening to you on Six Music. I think it's absolutely amazing. (laughs) For Tomorrow and Chemical World he came up with. (laughs) So in a way, they were right. It's weird to think what would have happened if Blur had got dropped. Is that it? Or is Damon such a kind of irresistible force as a songwriter that he'd have... Because he's not getting the opportunity to do Gorillaz in the same way that he's... Yeah, yeah. It's quite stressful for like... Because I think that's a thing as part of um, all the people in all industries like music or comedy or theatre or film or whatever that are around a creative that you got those people having inputs as to whether the product is good enough. But it's quite scary when a record exec literally just gives the feedback Make it better. Yeah. No way. Just do. It's just very stressful when someone goes, just do, do some hits. And then you go, okay. And then actually to come back, it's almost disempowering of him to have come back and written two massive bangers. Yeah. Because then it's like, well, then that means that the feedback of, yeah, could you make it funnier? Just make it funnier. Make it better music. Yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed now with the sort of Back to the Future 2 parallel universe where he doesn't write them on Christmas Day. Blur are dropped. We don't have gorillas. We don't have any of the cheese festivals. Yeah. <laughs> Damon doesn't become a king in Mali. <laughs> Mali is denied one of its celebrity kings. What are the good, the bad, and the queen doing instead? Yes. Is Noel Gallagher teaming up with members of the Clash? A suede bigger. Is it suede versus Oasis? Is that the kind of situation? And then maybe Richard Osman doesn't have his drive. And so maybe the UK comedy landscape has changed because he's just... <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know that you're putting Richard Osman's drive solely down to uh, avenging the success of suede. <laughs> it's a hell of a swing to take. No, I'm, I think I just wanted to move it into the comedy world where possible. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, Not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Where's the narcissist sitting for you on the Pantheon? Because for me, and I am a new convert, I think it's possibly my favourite Blur song already. I think it was very telling that they played it in the encore of absolute bangers at Wembley both nights and it didn't feel problematic. 
The problematic's the wrong word. <laughs> Despite that, I don't know if you heard the verse there. I don't know why I'm blaming. <laughs> it's that crew member occasionally orders them to do additional live verses. <laughs> you're playing this is a low, and you're playing that cancelable live verse from. <laughs> I don't care if you're a king there, Damon. I don't think that means you can sing. <laughs> This is a low base of the shipping forecast, but he wants the stop the boats version, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it didn't feel... It felt fine within the pantheon of Tender and For Tomorrow and The Universal. I actually think Barbaric is the best song on the new album. I think Barbaric's incredible. Barbaric is a really lovely song. I just wrote, Barbaric is lovely. That was my note during the, the live stream last night. I really like, and I'm going to backhand a compliment the song slightly, in that I do love St. Charles Square. It's just a really good squealing guitar. The guitar's so fun. Yeah. I will say, there's like a pre-chorus kind of like, ah, that Damon Albarn yeah. does, and it grated live. It's fine it? on the record. I found it on the stream. I found it like, can you say that a 55-year-old man can't hit his as live in the same as that like? Yeah, that didn't come through in the room, but I suppose St. Charles Square's the muddiest song in the room. Ellis James, who came to it, is obsessed with that song. He also, he cycles through St. Charles Square when he's going to Avalon. Well, exactly, which is a song on the album and a song on the album that like, given that Blur are so kind of obsessed with the kind of mythos of what Britain is and like every project that Damon Albarn has done feels like there's like an album that's about that, like Good, The Bad and The Queen with like Merry Land. Yeah. I couldn't believe that Damon Albarn hadn't done a song in his career called Avalon at some point. Well, for people in comedy, Damon Albarn, obviously he lives in West London. He's done a lot of references to West London. Under the West Way. Under the West Way. Portobello Road's mentioned on Blue Jeans. St. Charles Square is in West London. But the song Avalon, the comedy agency Avalon are based in West London. So I lived in St. Charles Square for four years. That Not to dox Avalon. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's fine out Avalon online. But it yeah. emanates. It's like on St. Yeah, Charles Square. Exmouth Road or wherever it is. Yeah. I don't know if that's another West London reference that Damon's squeezing <laughs> in. I don't think it's 0%. You know, he talks about living in a basement flat in St. Charles Square with bars on the windows. I've Google Street viewed St. Charles Square. That's going to be a nice basement flat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't need 90s gentrification for it to be still fine. No, I don't think... This isn't to speculate over what has happened in Damon Albarn's life, but say he was looking for a new premises, I think he could afford a nice flat. He's really torturing himself if he's moved into a bad flat in St. Charles Square. <laughs> just to be near his favourite comedy agency. Just to be near his favourite comedy agency, <laughs> just in case he could see Lee Mack walking past. <laughs> and what's a Tesco disco? Have you interrogated that at all? No, but Rose, my wife, listened to St. Charles Square and she said, oh, Tesco disco. She used to live in Shepherd Bush and it was a place you'd go after hours drinking whenever else was closed. For people who live in East London, I realise this is a, but everyone's got one, equivalent maybe of the Dolphin in East London. Tesco Disco, though, was a door next to Tesco, and you'd knock and come in, and they'd just sell oh. downstairs booze off a trestle table. It wasn't called Tesco Disco, but that was the local reference to it. I mean, I'll be honest, as I asked the question, I thought, why am I wasting your time with just saying the words Tesco Disco? Because I heard them on the stream. 
it's gone about as well as it possibly could. That wasn't even <laughs> on uh, my trusted lyric site, Genius. <laughs> Do you have any intel about Darren? Because Darren's a member of the team, isn't Darren he? Darren is Smoggy, who's kind of Damon Albarn's minder, I suppose. Right. Bodyguard's a bit of a strong word, isn't it? But that's what it says. It says bodyguard in like various websites online, yeah. Right, okay. And he's looked after Damon Albarn since year dot. He's from Wolverhampton. A lot of the crew are from Wolverhampton. And that's why they always do Wolverhampton in their warm-up shows. They've got this strong connection to Wolverhampton. And I think someone told me that his job is fixing washing machines, Smoggy. So he'll just do that and then he'll just stop for a bit to do a blur tour when it's a blur tour and then he'll go back to his day job. And obviously the inevitable question, is he on more than Phil Daniels? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So how is he in the title then? Apparently the title track... Is a song that was knocking around for a while, and then Darren was like, "Do that song," and then that's why it's called that. I think. I think I read that that he was like the impetus for saying, "Revisit that song fragment that you had knocking around for a few years." I heard him and the setlist guy, and this isn't me riffing. This is what I've heard. They genuinely are brought into listen to the album really early doors to give their views before like the label. What Tim Wheeler's girlfriend would do to be in that room? <laughs> <laughs> wife, Ivo, wife. Uh, wife. I do apologise. I should just say on Tim Wheeler's wife, oh, because yeah. of my deep dive into her Instagram, she put up a picture of them, say, I've been with him for five years and we've had a baby and I've moved to London, transatlantic, moved to London from America. Really glad that I just slipped into his DMs to say I was a fan. And that's how they got together. She slipped into his DM to say she was a fan of Blur. <laughs> <laughs> Spotify has used about the 12th most related artist, so the one I actually like. So <laughs> She's quite a big deal, his wife, I think. In the fashion industry, her mum was the editor of French Vogue. So it's not just like someone with 12 followers right, right, right. DM'd Tim Wheeler. She has significantly more followers than Tim Wheeler, sadly, for the state of indie music. Yeah, has she ever written here to Uncle Pat? No, so. (laughs) I know this, and I'm sure most people who know you and your work know this, but it's lovely to have the evidence of just how much you really do walk the walk. Google Street (laughs) Viewing St. Giles' Square Flat and Instagram Deep Diving Tim Wheeler's Wife is just... (laughs) This time is not wasted. No, exactly. In comedy, you'll talk about everything that happens to you once, and this is a real outlet for those things. (laughs) Which of our friends, well, I'm going to presume that we might know them as well, was the one who texted you about the narcissist? Six out of five stars, it's their Dakota. Tom Parry. I hoped it was Tom Parry. (laughs) Fantastic. It does have elements of Dakota to it, doesn't it? And I mean that as a positive. Yeah, I do like and respect Dakota, but I do like and respect the narcissist more. You know who I bet likes the stereophonics is Tim Wheeler's wife. (laughs) Weirdly, I was quite happy that I didn't go to the gig and I watched it on the live stream, if that's an insane thing to say. You love to see bands waiting to come on. (laughs) I love the titillating view down the Hammersmith Apollo corridor. Do you ever think when you're waiting for a band to come on, what are they up to now? I think that a lot. Mm. (laughs) Also, I tell you what, I think it when I'm waiting for the encore, what are they up to? Going for a piss? Like, it must be a lot of the time going for a piss, right? Yeah, I think so. Because it can take a long time. Like, 
That's not debate, is it? That's not them going, what do you think? <laughs> like, what is the point of that? It does make it less um, fun when, if it's a really long wait and you think, oh, they're really just trying to build our atmosphere. It's like, no, just one of them did need to shit. But do they? Do you think they need to shit? Like, we're all live performers, guys. I've never come off stage and thought, I'm desperate for a shit. Have you? No. Always before, never after. <laughs> Yeah. I think basically that was a, an amazing gig on the live stream and I would have loved to have seen it, but because it would have been my first time seeing Blur, yeah. I'm actually just really now excited to come and see them when they, I think they'll definitely do another tour in five years. Well, I hope so. Because there was part of me that was going, is this the last time I see Blur? Mm. I think they'll be back. They look like they're having such fun and really care. Such an amazing contrast between Josh going, if that's it, it's a great way to go. And Alex going, can't wait to see Blur now. <laughs> yeah, Josh is like that's a great way to go and I'm like I wouldn't start with this one no, <laughs> do you yeah. think Josh I'm sure some of it was just the inevitabilities of scheduling and they were both great but if you were in Blur would you want to go out on really special beautiful performance of new album live streamed in a very cool modern way at the Apollo or would you want to go out on Wembley well they've still got six months of European and South American gigs so they're not going out but that's their last UK gig to date but i mean obviously it reminds me when elton john came on at glastonbury and said this is probably my last ever uk gig and you're like oh fuck off mate <laughs> come on immediately you just start running over to phoenix being like well, he's not even committed he's not even committed to getting himself off the show <laughs> was there much made at the gig of the fact it was being live streamed like until the universal at the end there weren't a lot of phones out, and I wondered if people had been told. No, but it was quite dark in the room, so it's quite difficult to film, actually. Because mm. I got my phone out. Tim Wheeler's wife was having a bloody go at it. I'll tell you that for free, <laughs> trying to get some videos. Her, like, fifth Blur gig of the year, but still got to get it up there. I mean, people in glass houses, I'm not going to accuse Tim Wheeler's wife of being too into Blur when I've been to one more gig than she has. <laughs> I wonder whether... because. I struggled to get a ticket for the Radio 2 one. I wonder whether whether Wheeler's tried and failed to pull those strings. I wonder if we could set up a podcast with Tim Wheeler talking to Rose Widdicombe about being a sort of blur widow. <laughs> <laughs> Was it rowdy at the gig? You could hear a lot of come on Grahams when you were watching the live stream, which obviously I'm taking that to heart. I tell you what, the cheers between songs were huge, but... I think that's because I'm used to watching Blur this year, not in... I mean, at Wembley, so much sound was lost. Do you know what I mean? So the acoustics of the room were incredible. When I don't actually think Hammersmith Apollo is like the most acoustically brilliant room in the UK. You're insulting our home patch. That's our base. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've done a lot of Apollo, haven't you? Yes, and even oh, if yeah. we're not going, we're, we're streaming it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see an arena, like stadium level band do their warm up gig if it's at the Hammersmith Apollo on live stream. Are you going to pulp on Saturday of playing the Apollo? We're not actually going to pulp on Saturday oh, at the Apollo. We've already seen them at Latitude. Oh, yeah. Well, that will be just as good, I'm sure. Was there, I mean, you saw them so many times this summer, but were there songs or a song that you really wished you'd caught that they didn't play yeah i think their best b-side is young and lovely which is a brilliant song which they played on the last two in 2015 and 2012 or was it 2012 2009? doesn't matter they're on the kind of those live albums that have been released 
that's a great song. I can't get over their fascination with oily water, why that is repeatedly in the live sets. <laughs> it's not their decision, though, is it? It's not their decision. They must be furious every time. <laughs> If only they had any agency. <laughs> the guy that picks them, he's actually got a writing credit on Oily Water. So he's... <laughs> like, I don't dislike Oily Water, but he's definitely not worth playing more than Chemical World. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's definitely not worth playing more than Sing either, which is a similarly tonally the same track, and I'd say a better version of that kind of tone. But... There's something liberating about watching an album because you're not thinking about that. You know what's coming. You're just tied to it, and it's nice in that sense. Because I have a tendency these days, which is bad, to ruin my gig by looking at old set lists of bands, which is a horrible habit. It's very similar to the people that read the last page of a book, isn't it, when they're halfway through reading the book. I think you're ruining your own fun. Or people who read the entire synopsis of a horror movie so that they know all the scary beats so they can't be fully scared. exactly. Mm. I think that can ruin a gig. But I'm not too unhappy with the set list they've been playing. It's great. It's like their entire best of bar three songs and then about eight more songs on top of that. What three songs would you... Like, I've not got any real time for Charmless Man, really. I don't think they need to play that. I think that's fun. I like being told someone knows their claret from their Beaujolais. That's a fun lyric. Yes. <laughs> I love the song he thought of cars, but I don't think that that is a gaping hole in the live set. I don't think there was anyone at Wembley going, I tell you what would have made that better. <laughs> the ninth song off The Great Escape. <laughs> so I think at a point you have to stop your own selfishness and put the gig first. Yes. And I'd say that to the man who keeps picking oil and water. <laughs> I don't like the song Sunday, Sunday, as I've said. And two of my five gigs have been on Sundays and they've played it. And the lesson I've learned is I'm not going to go and see them on a Sunday again. <laughs> if there's a news story about some oily water the week we're going to see Blur next, you're absolutely <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yeah. So one I really love that I don't think they've played for ages, or they certainly haven't played in these sort of spate of gigs, I think, is Ambulance at the beginning of Think Tank. Yeah, they're not going to play that, are they? If that gets played at a like, Wembley gig, is that like a disaster? Are the audience not giving a shit? Like, where does that sit in the Pantheon? Because I think that really blew my mind the first time I heard that song. Did it? Yeah, it was really unlike any Blur song I'd ever heard before. And I was just like, what is this? It was great. I love Ambulance. Well, they only ever play Out of Time. That's the only song they ever play off Think Tank. And that does feel weird because obviously Graham's He's had to create a live guitar part. It's slightly (laughs) weird, isn't it, when one of you wasn't there for one of the albums? Yeah, yeah. Damon does the guitar solo on Out of Time, and I always think, this is odd. Like being a sort of step-parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It is. It is very much like being a step-parent. It's how much can Graham push his guitar part? What's within his rights to do to that song? (laughs) Weird for him to look at Alex James lounging on a sofa was sort of smoking in his shorts and be like, I have to respect the fact that this man is more connected to the song than I am and I should know my place. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got one, Ivo? Oh, I don't know. I I mean, as I said, I think I'm pretty good on Blur now, largely through my friendship with Josh. And I love the new album. 
And I really liked Fool's Day, the song that they released when they came back about yeah, 10 good, years ago. It? I listened to that a lot at university, but I, again, I'm not expecting that yeah. to suddenly pop up. I remember loving the song Bad Head. That was one of the first yeah, Blur songs I thought was really catchy, and I'm surprised it's not in greater rotation. But no complaints from me, and I said Clover after Dover, so let's not waste any of the <laughs> listeners' time with what I thought should have made it in. Would you enjoy the job of being Blur's set list man, or do you think it's stressful? Because you know they say, like, obviously being a football manager is more stressful than being a football. Right. If he's watching from the side and his pick isn't setting a light. He's there on the side going, oh, I think Charmless Man's legs have gone. Yeah. Do you think there'd be, like, there's that documentary about Graham Taylor sort of watching his world fall apart. The camera just stays on me as Blur album track after Blur album track goes to nothing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it would be hard to fail too much with the band and their fans as they are. I'd love the job. They've never come off to the set list guy and gone, what the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) What have you just put us through there? That was a fucking mess. (laughs) Him going, it is Sunday though. It is Sunday. (laughs) I don't care if it's Sunday. (laughs) You can't make us play Sunday, Sunday, and then also Sunday, bloody Sunday, straight afterwards. (laughs) Blur is so scared of this guy that they're trying to not book any more gigs on Sundays because it's easier to do that. (laughs) Then wrestle control their own set list. They're all converting to like a really strident form of Christianity that says they can't play on a Sunday. Josh, thank you so much for bringing so much of your deep blur knowledge, including Google street viewing houses in West London to this podcast. Do you have a recommendation for us? Song, book, band, album, tour, anything? Oh, book. I'd like to recommend a book. It's called I'm Not With The Band by Sylvia Patterson. I like reading books by music journalists about what it was like to be a music journalist, ideally in the 80s and 90s at the NME. And her book about working at Smash Hits and various other places is the best book I've read about being a music journalist. And it's absolutely incredible. Brilliantly written. And also, it's a really good map of the slow decline of music journalism as a trade. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Is that a bleak enough end? Well, I think it obviously makes you feel a bit queasy as a podcaster, sort of casually discussing what you thought of the live stream. Or the man who wields the knife. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm quite wielding the knife with my not correctly updated Chrome. It certainly feels like that book would have been about quite an invigorating and definitively live experience of being a music fan rather yes. than the slightly more sanitized podcast about the live stream universe and actually there is a chapter where she uh doesn't like blur as an experience of interviewing just to show balance for this podcast she doesn't like interviewing the band blur she has a bad experience early on in the book interviewing the band blur in colchester well we're recording this on the very day that graham coxon's off menu episode comes out which is a hell of a thing to suddenly scroll past (laughs) Josh, here's a question very quickly. Without listening to the episode, based on your interactions with or near him, do you think you have any idea what kind of food Graham Coxon likes? (laughs) I know I gave them a question to ask him. Never eat with your heroes is what you... Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's very slim, Graham Coxon. He's kept his figure. So, I mean, part of that is obviously that he doesn't drink anymore, but he must be eating in a healthy manner, I'd think. I can't imagine he's a cook. There's only one way to find (laughs) out, either. (laughs) Oh, just quickly, Josh, would you eat cold soup at a festival? What, bought or out of a tin? Ivo's given you a can of cold soup. He said that he's going to come back. He doesn't. What do you do with the soup? 
get rid. I don't want a can of cold soup. Yeah, fair enough. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Josh. <laughs> Important to note, again, for perhaps newer listeners, that uh, the would you eat cold soup out of a tin at a festival, that's not a recurring, you know... It's not our, what are you saving from the waves at the end of the, it, it, no, the, end of the it's, episode? Um, I think it was a hypothetical that you and I were really hauling about between each other that, that particular week. Between each other? <laughs> I kept asking you. <laughs> I'd never, I never thought you gave it due consideration. Uh, and I, I suppose, you know, it was nice to open it up to Josh as well. And then he closed it quite effectively. Yes. No, I was, but I, I was just, you know, I think you had some soup in your hands at one point And then you just, I never was really on board with the context of why you were asking me this question. So I didn't, could never really quite buy into the hypothetical. It all dates back to when I brought a can of oxtail soup to your house during a, a world, a very, very hot day uh, to watch a World Cup match in 2018. Yes. And didn't consider it uh, an appropriate uh, snack <laughs> and, and, and even saying it I, I, I do see your point um, so now listen that was a, a lovely we hope you enjoyed listening to uh, a, a, a solid and broadly well recorded hour of us talking to Josh about Blur um, and, uh, and and various other japes uh, there's going to be a bit more of uh, Josh talking about such things more of Josh on the Patreon and more of us talking about Meet Me in the Bathroom have you read Meet Me in the Bathroom yet? <laughs> I've got it's it's a, it's it's my coffee table book. <laughs> you, you do read the coffee table books often. I don't not, think coffee table often not, but I've read some of it. It's great, but it's not like it's not, a, it's not a Dickens novel. I've not. It's it's like it's it's a, it's, it's a wonderfully better, it's better than a Dickens a, novel. It's it's a series of wonderfully curated and collaged vignette interviews that you can pick up and put down and sort of jump in at any point in the book. So I both <laughs> read some of it, love it, but the entire form means that no, I haven't yet. Reddit, but you know, I, I feel the peer pressure. You, you'd pay four pounds for an hour of that squirming, wouldn't you? <laughs> Get your card out. Uh, three pounds eighty if you're in the the lucky initial few, and five pounds if you're not. That's yes. the actual pricing. That, that's a, yes, based on a Q magazine from two thousand and five. As much of this podcast is, so it's both based on the Q magazine from two thousand and five, but also three point eight is the uh, score that Pitchfork gave everything. Everything's man alive. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited to have given it for that, for that reason. Everything is linked. Something for everyone, and yet so much for no one. It's um, <laughs> a Lusander's quote. So listen, that episode of Josh should obviously provoke questions. I know I was provoked listening back to it, uh, and questions that you might wish to offer some of your own, and we've, we've hugely enjoyed in previous episodes various sort of anecdotes provided by viewers based on quite sort of granular aspects of concert going. And as I think we're finding, there, there are often new granules. New granules. This week's granules. Well, have you, have you also seen any uh, musicians in the audience a lot for a particular, for a particular band? I think we would settle for ever seeing a musician watching another musician. But yes, ideally it's multiple times. And even better if it's multiple times on account of their partner yeah, yeah. who's more into it than they are. But could you see under sufferance in yeah. their eyes? We set up a sort of a tiered system even of you know, replies to the emails. Um, and uh, please jump in on any of those tiers. Here's a nice simpler one. Uh, any music versus major sports event, of course, I think. Or, I mean, if, if any other kind of event where suddenly it would become ludicrous that you're at a music gig and half the people there are on their phones and it's dominating the... Have you ever had a big sporting event clash with the clash? Oh, 
the dream. Well, no, the, the, the dream answer to the question, obviously. Commiserations <laughs> that has happened to. <laughs> uh, have you, have you, uh, you know, it was a full, it was a full way through album gig. Have you watched any of those uh, at all? Have you, have you got any highlights of any bands performing their albums in their entirety? Um, we've referenced many times my writing you out uh, style and style of the uh, Maximo Park Certain Trigger gig in 2018. But I know now I've had it emphasised to me that we did watch it together. <laughs> Um, we, but you don't. But you no, don't no, even. No, do you know, believe that? Like, 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 you know how ch- you talk to children about what their first memory is, and is it like, is it your first memory, or have, have, is that like a sedimented narrative on top of a memory that does or doesn't exist because your parents have told you enough times that that happened, and your mind has built that sediment, please. Sed- sediment. <laughs> if uh, if anyone wants to bring any sediment, sediment, I'll take it. I just, I want memories. <laughs> so just, <laughs> just hit them up. Uh, so um, as well. So we've watched one Maximo Park and two Manic Street Preachers, Holy Bible and Journal for Plague Lovers. <sighs> Journal for Plague Lovers was a rare on-release full album play. An on-release, an on-release full album play is so great because it's a band backing themselves. And I saw, and I don't think I'm writing out of this, uh, <laughs> uh, Arcade Fire playing as the Reflectors playing Reflector near in full in 2013 at the yes. Roundhouse. I've still never seen Arcade Fire, so you've definitely not written me out of that. Well, that's there. great to know, and we won't get now into whether that's likely to change for what <laughs> reasons. Um, um, uh, so also, Josh gave us uh, a fantastic book recommendation this week. We didn't quite get in our um, recommendations in the in the body of the episode proper. Ivo, do you have a recommendation? Yes, um, at least once a day for the entirety of the Edinburgh Fringe and since I've listened to the new eight-minute Yard Act song, The Trenchcoat Museum. Um, I am a big fan of Yard Act. They've been mentioned and recommended on this podcast uh, before and um, uh, obviously uh, their uh, first album kicked up all, all sorts of merry noise um, in, a, in a sort of critical and commercial sense as well as being quite noisy. <laughs> but I cannot believe what they've come back with, which is a the first third of it being a sort of quite highly energized but still fairly standard yard act song with some funny lyrics about uh, the you know the legacy of the trench coat and then what i would and this is going to this is going to hurt you alex amazing lucid dreams but good like wow. lucid dreams by franz ferdinand the 9 minute version like it is really cool that they took their sort of quite jangly standard franz song and then turned it into a sort of squelchy it's justice electro. does franz ferdinand yeah uh, and and you know it's a great addition to the franz ferdinand canon but I'm not like jumping around to the sort of minutes seven to nine of uh, Lucid Dreams. If, if anything, it's a sort of downer, really. Uh, minutes four to seven of Lucid Dreams are jump around. Minutes seven to nine are moody electro. Um, whereas, well, I, I'll have to. We'll, we'll, we'll obviously try and. Uh, is it too late? <laughs> what are we to promising not, them now? <laughs> what, we, what are we promising them now? Uh, beautifully rendered uh, graphs of um, our favourite songs, uh, where the x-axis is time and the y-axis is pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> Can't wait to do that. The lucid dreams. Prioritise pleasure. It's always just yeah. at ten out of ten the whole way. Uh, no, not that. What about that one that you always say you like, but isn't just clear? There's a reason she's not playing it. Don't, um, don't inspect my sort of pun. <laughs> um, no, I think every track on Prioritised Pleasure is great, but Alex has taken the very contrarian view that the best song on it is the one that uh, Self Esteem don't play live. Yes, and that's, I stand you know, by that. Yeah, you know, happy standing. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Trenchcoat Museum just, um, it just, it, it rocks. There you go. I've, in, in, in two words, it rocks. it rocks. And I think it is relevant, uh, given that we talked at the start of this episode about um, 
well, Blur, obviously a great British institution. They're a funny band, and we talked about Phil Daniels and whether that's the, um, you know, the, the greatest ever talking in a song. And Yard Act, though not fit yet to wear the Daniels crown, are um, dealing almost exclusively in talking in songs. Sprechgesang. And uh, <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. Well, my recommendation is just simply a Damon Albarn solo song, which is uh, Polaris from his 2021 album, The Nearer the Fountain, More Pure the Stream Flows, which is some real um, dragon, new warm mountain oh, yeah. energy to that title. You I couldn't, even, couldn't even finish the Big Thief album title. Uh, I Believe in You? Yeah, something. Yeah, I think I think you might have got it completely right, actually. The, Important that we don't get it right too many times. No, no. Otherwise, otherwise, otherwise the jig's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me jig. Um, but it's, um, it's uh, absolutely lovely song. How long is it? In um, it is... I'd, it's probably about five minutes. And what's the best minute? And what's the worst minute? Um, I think just all of it's pretty good. It's I don't really think. It, I think the graphs pretty a pretty constant eight and a half on that graph. Yeah, I'm. Th- I'm thinking about graphs we might do, and so many of them. It's like yeah, it's, it's a, it's a yeah. Great well, there's song. that always song where it's ten for everything, but the oh, final yeah, ten seconds, which is minus eight, or the um, Phil Wang, uh, <laughs> lovely podcast about Kendrick Lamar, uh, uh, which we'd recommend. Arguably a bit Kendrick Lamar light uh, because Alex didn't attend the gig and then we suddenly ran out of time during the recording. But, uh, but still a great app. Wang a few years ago tweeted what, a picture of a um, one of those weak bridge signs with the caption dedicated to or um, uh, subtweeting uh, bonkers by Dizzy Rascal, <laughs> which uh, you know I you know I know it might be um, a pretty basic thrill, the thrill of bonkers, but I love its basic thrill. I, I think it's an absolutely huge song, but it's got one of the most like, will this do? Sort of ten <laughs> ten second sort of mid late, and I'll, I'll pop that on the graph straight away. Fantastic, and also shout out to my friend. Theo's band Spring Offensive, who had a really fantastic uh, indie rock cover of Bonkers back in the day. I bet they improved the bridge. They probably did improve the bridge, actually. Um, big shout out to Spring Offensive. My dear friends are in a band called Foxes and Hedgehogs, and their music is the music for this podcast, something you've been very supportive of. Uh, they've been referenced throughout. Members of Foxes and Hedgehogs have come to gigs with us. We may even do an episode where we go to one of their gigs. That's, the, that's, the, that's one of our many uh, heavy pencils for the autumn. <laughs> um, and to be fair, it's one of those ones where it's, a, it's rare that the pencil is also, will the band do a gig, please? Uh, because uh, uh, they, they have other professional commitments. But um, it's been pretty uneven, the ratio of me talking about my friend's band to you talking about Spring Offensive, because actually that was one of the foundations of our, uh, you know, sort of starting to go to actual like things and being into music in about 2009 was that you not only liked music and wanted to watch Journal for Plague Lovers in full, but also had pals in a really good band who were making some waves. <laughs> Well, you know, they, they disbanded, but they did do a, they did a reunion gig, I think, last year at Hoxton Hall, which is absolutely fantastic. And uh, a fun shout-out from someone in the crowd towards the end of that gig, uh, the Spring Offensive reunion gig, someone in the crowd went, best live band in the country. And then uh, Lucas, the lead singer, I think, said something um, polite and self-deprecating and fun. And then the person in the audience went, wait, are uh, uh, Wild Beast still going? <laughs> No, they're not. Yeah, you're still the best the best in the country, which is a very funny. Um, That's great. Give with one hand to take I, with the other. I like every bit of that, despite the fact that actually Wild Beasts were one of my favourite bands, and I saw them live twice. But I don't think they're the best live. You know, they 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 they, they do very solid renditions of absolutely stunning songs. Uh, it's a debate for another day. <laughs> 
<laughs> thanks so much for listening to episode one of this new series we'll be back next week and then forever until we have to take another break and yeah, then yeah, go it's not forever three. it's one of the shortest forevers <laughs> it's pro- approx three months enjoy <laughs> bye <laughs>